0: giver of all good things and we praise you for jesus christ today and father as we spend time now in your word um, as we spend time um, with the people from your word um, i pray that you would um, speak to our hearts um, convict and convince of sin and help us to turn and repent and come back to you God, we thank you for your grace today that we find in Christ Jesus and we find at the throne of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Matthew chapter 1. Open up to Matthew 1. If you've been here the past couple months, you know we've been going through the book of Ephesians, but now as we enter the month of December, for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the Christmas story. In January, we'll come back to the book of Ephesians, but for now, we'll be looking at the birth of Christ, uh, the people of Christ, and the Christmas story. What a great weekend to start the, the Christmas story. What a great weekend to start this uh, new series uh, the, the birth of, of Jesus. We we have snow on the ground. We just had Thanksgiving. Uh, I can't think of a better Sunday. Matthew chapter 1, the very first page of the New Testament. You'll turn to this text and you're going to see right away, this this isn't a common way to start a Christmas series. It's, it's not your usual characters. It's, it's not your usual hallmark picture card. Uh, there's no brightly shining star over the manger. There's, there's no wise men and and there are camels, there's no sheep and shepherds, there's, there's not even really Mary and Joseph. You're going to turn to this and uh, you're going to see it's, it's not your usual Christmas text. But, but I think so often we're, we're in such a rush, we're in such a hurry to get to the picture of the manger, to get to the scene of, of Jesus with his parents that, that we overlook. We overlook everything leading up to the birth of Christ. So for the next couple of weeks we're going to ask you to be patient we're going to ask you to, uh, to slow down, to wait a little bit. We'll get to the manger scene. Keep coming back. But for the next couple of weeks, we're, uh, we're going to anticipate the coming of Christ. We're going to go back and remember where Jesus is coming from. Who are some of these people? Matthew 1. You're looking at Matthew, and it's, it's just a long list of names. It, it's just a long list of names. Look at the beginning. Well, that's what it is. It's, it's a genealogy. It's, it's a long list of names. Have you ever read the Bible all the way through, and uh, you come across a passage like this? You come across a, a bunch of, of long names, kind of awkward, hard to pronounce, long names. Uh, what, what do you do with these texts? How, how do you handle them? You know, maybe maybe you just uh, kind of skip it, because really, what what's what's the point? I mean, you're you're reading through, and it's just a long long list of dead guys. What's what's the relevance to that? Uh, or maybe you skim it. You know, you're thinking, well, I, it is the Bible. I, I need to, to go through it. Uh, it's there for a reason. I don't know why. So maybe you skim it, but do you actually read it? Do you actually read these names? I mean, what, what do you do with these? What's the point? Have you ever read through First Chronicles? The first nine chapters is a list of names. The first nine chapters is you know father, father of so and so, father of so and so. What do you? What's the point? What What do you do with these chapters? What do you do with these names? I mean, I guess. The, I guess we can learn patience we we can learn long suffering and endure reading through the names uh, better yet I guess we we could even you know apply these names and and name good biblical names to children you know look look at at verse 8 the name jehoshaphat that's that's a good strong name verse 13 zerubbabel I, I don't know any zerubbables that's a fun one what, what, what do you do with these names? We just look at these names, and it's a long list of, of hard to pronounce, awkward, dead guys. And, and what do we do? Well, this morning we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, in fact, verse one says it's, it's a genealogy. It's, it's not a surprise, it's a long list of names. It's a, it's a collection. it's a record. It's a, it's a line of family history. Uh, think of it as, as a family tree. It's what it is. It's a family tree, a family lineage. From, from generation to generation, from father to son, father to son. It's a family tree of names. So before we get to Jesus lying in the manger, before we get to that, the angels and the trumpets and that brightly shining star, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the beginning, kind of see a little bit where Jesus is coming from. You know, what what's his past? What's the story of, of some of these people? Who, who are, they? Uh, why, why are they? Why are they important? Why are they here? We're going to get a refresher. We're going to go back. Uh, Matthew, we're actually just going to go verses 1 through 6. So we're not going to read it all. Um, We're going to read uh, six verses. But we're not going to skip it. We're not going to skim it. Um, We're actually going to go through it this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here in the opening sentence, the opening line of the New Testament, we read that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the son of Joseph, right? Like Mary and Joseph, that's his father. What's the deal with Abraham and, and, and David? Who are these characters? Well, obviously, Jesus is uh, the son of, of Joseph. But Abraham and David are are the forefathers, Joseph's the father, but Abraham and David are the four fathers. They're, they're the ancestors. They're the ancient ancestors, the, the great, 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 great grandpas of, of Jesus. Um, but there's more than, than 40 people listed here in the first chapter. So, what, what's so what's so special about these two, Abraham and David? Why, why are they mentioned? Why, why are they so, so important? Well, in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. God comes to Abraham and calls him out of paganism. And promises to bless him. God comes to Abraham and promises to make a blessing with him. And it's going to be through Abraham and through his offspring that all the nations of the world will be blessed. So here in Matthew 1, immediately, right from the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew's calling back a reminder. He's recalling this promise made to God in Genesis 12. Through the the offspring of Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. The offspring of Abraham, Jesus. Jesus. Well, what about David? Well, later on in 2 Samuel 7, David, God comes to David and makes a promise with David. David wanted to build a house for God, meaning David wanted to build this this temple for God. And God says, no, I'm going to build a household for you. See, God's entering this relationship with David and, and promises to establish with David. Through the line of David, there's going to be an everlasting line, an everlasting throne, an eternal and established kingdom that, that reigns and rules forever. Well, obviously, that's, that's not man. Man's not everlasting. That's, that's God. That's Jesus. And so here from the beginning, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, Matthew, the author of this gospel, is recalling to our attention that, that God has made these promises in the Old Testament in the Old Testament history, God made these promises with David. He made these promises with Abraham. And it's through the, the offspring, it's through the offspring of Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. It's through the, the household of David, there will be an, an established, eternal, foreverlasting throne and kingdom. So right from the beginning, Matthew's recalling our attention to the Old Testament saying, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one, the one that's been longed for, the one that's been anticipating, the one the Old Testament's been waiting for all of these centuries. Jesus is here. God is with us. God, the household. God, the offspring of Abraham and David. So really, what, what is the importance of this? Well, we have to look back to the first century. The first century, this is an incredible time of transition when this was wrote. You know, the, the temple of Jerusalem, it's been destroyed. There's, there's different Jewish traditions, different Jewish, uh, Jewish groups. Um, there's even imposters claiming to be the Messiah. There's, there's other men claiming to be Christ. So how do you know who to believe? You know, what, what, what do you do? There's, there's other people claiming to be Jesus, claiming to be Christ. Who do you believe? Well, one way, you look at their genealogy. If they don't come from the line of David, if they don't come from the line of Abraham, they're not it. They're not the Messiah. So right from the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew is staking this claim, this legitimate claim, proving, connecting this link to the Old Testament, saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus Christ is the one promised to Abraham, promised to David, the one our Old Testament's been waiting for, longing for, anticipating. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Just as it was promised, Jesus is here. Jesus is fulfilling God's faithful promises from the Old Testament. So right from the beginning, son of Abraham, son of David, from the household, from the offspring. This is Jesus. This proves the legitimate claim that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So if you look at verse 2, you see the name Abraham. And then in verse 6, you see the name David. Well, who are these these people in between? What's what's their relation? What's these other generations of well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a few of these names. We're going to read through it, and I'm not going to highlight every name, but I'm going to pick out pick out a few, and we're going to kind of go back to the Old Testament and kind of share a little bit of a story about them. Learn uh, who they are, where they're coming from, how they're remembered. But as I'm reading this, as I'm reading verses 2 through 6, see if you can kind of pick out a pattern. There's a very obvious pattern here in this genealogy like most genealogies. There's a very obvious pattern, but there's also a break. See if you can find that break. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Aminadab and Aminadab, the father of Nishon, and Nishan, the father of Salmon and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun reading through those names? Did you catch the pattern? It's pretty specific, it's pretty obvious. You know, there's a, there's a father, who's the father of a son. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. It's, it's a very specific and obvious pattern that goes through this whole genealogy father son that's how the genealogy is developed that's how it continues from generation to generation but did you see the break in it there were four breaks where uh, in addition to the father the mother was mentioned you look in verse three judah the father of perez and zerah by tamar verse five salmon the father of Boaz. By Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. So it's kind of interesting. You see this, this kind of cycle, this pattern from generation, from father to son, father to son, and then it's kind of interrupted by a, a break. There's interrupted by an addition of the mom, addition of, of the woman. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, there's no moms mentioned. There's no women. If you look at most genealogies in the Old Testament, it's mainly just men. Men are the ones carrying the family line. Men are the ones carrying the family name, the family tradition, passed on from generation. So kind of the moms are the mothers, the women mentioned. It's kind of just, it's additional information. Uh, They're not, they're actually not needed. You could carry on and and, and have the the same line of thought without having these, these women mentioned. So so what's, what's the point of, of having these women? If, uh, if there's a point of having the names Abraham and David and, and these connecting families, these, these generations, what's, what's the deal with uh, these women? Why are they added in here? If they're extra information, you know, this is, this is valuable space writing in a manuscript. This is, this is valuable space. It's not wasted. Why are they here? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these four women. We're going to look at these four women in the genealogy of Jesus and uh, get a refresher, go back to the beginning, learn their story, find out a little bit about who they are. Maybe you can put together, you know, why, why are they here? Why does uh, Matthew add them in? The first woman in, uh, in the genealogy is, is Tamar. You look in verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. To learn about Tamar, we need to go back to Genesis, Genesis 38. In Genesis 38, we read of a man named Judah... Judah was uh, one of the the sons of of Jacob. Him and his 11 brothers made the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was was one of the most important. He was the the royal, the regal, the the prestigious. He had the the important line. He was one of the the important brothers. Judah is the the most important tribe of of Israel. So in Genesis 38, we read that Judah is on his way to shear some sheep. That's what he was doing. He was on his way to shear some sheep. And he saw a girl standing alongside of the road. So Jude is walking along this dusty road, and he sees this girl uh, with a veil covering her face, signifying she's a prostitute. Judah sees this prostitute standing on the street corner. So on his way to shear some sheep, Judah approaches her. Judah asks her to sleep with him. Genesis 38. Judah asks this prostitute to sleep with him. She says, well, of course, how much? What's, what do I get? What's the deal? Judah thinks, well, how about one young goat? Sounds good, I guess. One young goat, that's the deal. Three months later, Judah, this is the same man, this is the same man who uh, was walking along the way to shear some sheep. Judah hears that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. Well, Tamar, she's, uh, she's a single girl. Uh, she's a young single girl and so she's she's found immoral she's she's guilty of prostitution and so judah hearing this his daughter-in-law tamar is is guilty of prostitution he he's kind of caught in a dilemma i mean he's uh, this is important this this uh leader of the tribe of israel he he can't have something like this in his family he can't he can't have a floozy daughter-in-law running around this this isn't right he's he's got to carry on the family name he's got to protect the image. He's, He's building up a dynasty here uh, and so Judah not not realizing you know what's going on here uh, Judah condemns his daughter-in-law Tamar to death but the problem is Judah doesn't realize his daughter-in-law Tamar is is the same veiled prostitute he visited three months ago what a hypocrite what a just judgmental nasty old man he's uh he's condemning his his daughter-in-law who he slept with to death trying to carry on the, the family name, the, the protect the image of, of who he is and, and his family. Isn't it isn't it just amazing how the the sins of the past just kinda creep up and catch us. You know, we, we work so hard of trying to kind of be careful and, and crafty and we we try to uh to hide and cover our tracks and and when we think it's it's a safe little secret and nobody knows sin is revealed, sin is exposed, sin blows up in his face and, and so here's Judah uh, who 's condemning his, his daughter in law to death to be burned, and it 's revealed it 's exposed that actually he was the one he was the one who, who slept with his, his daughter in law he was the one who got her pregnant. So the first woman we read in the genealogy of Jesus is, is Tamar, a prostitute. The second woman we read in the gene, genealogy of Jesus is Rahab. And you know she 's also a prostitute. Verse five says, "And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab." Remember Rahab in the book of uh, Joshua, the beginning of Joshua, chapter two. Joshua and, and Israel, they uh, they're about to enter the promised land, and uh, they hear these rumors. There's all these uh, these huge mighty warriors. There's these great big people. There's these tall mighty fortresses, these these tall walls. The city of Jericho, uh, Judah. Or, uh, uh, Joshua is, is hearing rumors of, of all that's going on in the promised land. And so he, he takes two spies and he sends them into the promised land. They're, they're on a reconnaissance mission. They're out there collecting information, seeing, seeing if it's true, seeing the wall of Jericho, seeing, uh, seeing these great soldiers, these mighty enemies. And uh, so Joshua sends these two spies. And, and where do you think two spies go in the middle of the night in a, in a foreign land? Well, sure, they go to a house of a prostitute. The house of a prostitute, it's... It's not going to be uncommon for uh, kind of suspicious and, and sneaky strangers to be coming and going all hours of the night. And so uh, these two spies trying to keep a low profile, they, they enter the house of the prostitute, enter the house of, of Rahab. It's just amazing. This is how the New Testament begins. This, this is how the family of Jesus and this is how these, these moms, these women are, are mentioned. Uh, they're first brought to our attention. They're, they're purposely added in. They're, they're here for an emphasis. Two prostitutes. Not really what we think of Jesus and, and his ancestors, his background, where, where he's coming from. But this is how it begins. And it doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament, the New Testament, or today. Uh, it's shameful. It, it's, it's embarrassing. This, this is a scandal. Uh, to have uh, these, these women, these prostitutes, that's not accepted. It wasn't then. It, it's not today. But that's how the New Testament begins. They're here. They're added in. They're out in the open. First, first page, I mean, bold writing. It's, it's an emphasis. But why? Why does Matthew add in these, these two women? I mean, it, it would have been just as easy to, to leave them out. He could have just had, you know, Salmon, the father of Boaz, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. But he doesn't stop there. He, he intentionally includes these women. He, he purposely adds them in, emphasizing their relation to Jesus. He, he, Matthew's not trying to hide these, these misfit characters, these, these mistakes, these embarrassing moments of the Old Testament history, these, these scandals of the past. He, he puts them on the front page of, of his gospel. It's opening lines of his book. Well, it's Tamar and Rahab, we have, we have two prostitutes. Let's go on to the next woman. Who's next? Uh, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. All right, Ruth. I've, I've heard of her. She's got a book. She seems like a, a pretty good lady. Well, before we get there, um, actually Ruth, uh, her family of origin, Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites came about from incest between Lot and his daughter. So Ruth comes from a family line of incestual of relationships of, of Lot and his, his daughter and, uh, and actually, the Jews thought the, the Moabites were impure all the way to the 10th generation. They were unclean. They were impure. Um, well, not only do they have a kind of impure and unclean family of origin, they're, uh, they're also polytheistic pagans. They, they worshipped many idols. And in fact, they offered human sacrifices to these false gods. Uh, that's, that's where Ruth's coming from. That's, that's her family of origin. That's, that's kind of her background. Well, what about Boaz? What about the husband that she married? Well, he's the son of Rahab. Boaz is the son of this prostitute. Well, in the book of Ruth, we we read Boaz. He's a successful farmer. You know, he's got fields. He's got foremen. He has men and women servants working for him. And one night, Boaz he's uh, he's hanging out at the threshing floor. He's uh, enjoying a little meal there. He's having some some dinner and, and drinking and uh Boaz is there kinda of relaxing after a hard day and it and it says uh in the book of Ruth that Boaz was in good spirits um after he was drinking. So I, I don't think he was just drinking a little uh, water from the well. He's he's probably drinking some wine. He's he's been working hard in the fields. He's uh he's the um the owner of, of this, this this occupation. Uh he's owner of this threshing floor and here he is kinda of relaxing. Staying by his work, he's uh, working late, and uh, he's drinking, eating and drinking some wine, and he falls asleep, falls asleep on a grain pile. And that night, uh, a young girl, a young Moabite girl named Ruth, she comes and uh, sees him there uh, sleeping on the grain pile, and so she kind of crawls underneath the blanket and sleeps with him for the night. Uh, Parents of uh, teenage daughters, what do you you think? Uh, Ruth's story, uh, is she completely innocent here? Is it? Acceptable? Unacceptable? Kind of questionable? You're thinking, uh, here's a young girl sleeping with uh, an older man in the middle of the night. What's going on here? I mean, is Ruth just just out on a midnight stroll and she gets tired and she needs a a free place to stay? Well, not exactly. Uh, Actually, it was kind of set up. Uh, In the book of Ruth, we read about uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Well, Naomi, she knew where to find Boaz. Naomi, she knew that Boaz would be... uh, Hanging out at the threshing floor, she knew that Boaz would be asleep there, and so Ruth, uh, actually uh, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, tells Ruth to uh, to go put on your best clothes, to go wash up, to get perfume on, and to go find Boaz. Doesn't sound real innocent. So here's Ruth in the middle of the night going out. She's she's now washed. She has her nice clothes on. She has perfume on, and she's looking for Boaz and Sure enough, she she finds Boaz and slips under the blanket and and stays the night. Uh, not not real innocent and uh, and the sweet, um, but actually nothing happens. You know, I know we were just talking about Tamar and Rahab, but but here with Ruth, nothing nothing happens. So we can't really assume too much. You know, Ruth and before the sun came up, Ruth slipped out and nobody saw her, nobody noticed. So this master matchmaking plan of of Ruth and Naomi, it worked. You know, uh, Boaz took interest, took notice of 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 Ruth, and uh, they ended up getting married, happily ever after. I'm sure they lived. Uh, so nothing happened, but it's still it's it's kind of a, a gray area. It's still a, a questionable situation at the least. I mean, a, an older man with a, a younger woman, um, middle of the night. It's it's not real clear, but uh, we have two prostitutes, Tamar and Rahab, and, and now we have a, a foreign pag, pagan Moabite. You know, who's a little risky and how she approaches older, wealthier, passed out men in the middle of the night. Uh, first three women, first three women of the genealogy of Jesus. What about the last lady? Well, last lady. Verse 6 David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Wife of Uriah. We know that as Bathsheba. I know, we always pick on David and Bathsheba. But here it is, so we're gonna cover it. For David it's the springtime. Springtime's the the time after the season of the harvest, the springtime's when all the kings go off to war. But David, he's he's the great king. I mean he's he's defeated more enemies, he's conquered more kingdoms, he's been there, he's done that, he's on the top of his power. There's there's nobody else like King David, so he decides I'm going to send my armies out with uh Joab, my commander. I'll send them out. I'm going to I'm going to stay home in Jerusalem. I'm going to take a an early vacation, early retirement. And I'm going to kind of stay back and relax a little bit. So, it's in springtime David doesn't go off to war. David stays home. One evening David couldn't sleep. You know, he's he's used to being a military warrior uh Kind of a, a poet, musician, he's used to being busy, he's used to being active, and, and now he's kind of back home in Jerusalem on his early retirement, kind of feeling a little bit bored. One evening, uh, David couldn't sleep, so he gets up from his bed, he, he walks around, he walks over to his roof. Well, on his roof, it's, it's like a balcony. Uh, he's walking over to his roof, and, and actually, a lot of times, people would walk out to their roof, uh, especially in the evening, to pray kind of a balcony it's it's cool it's it's quiet it's not hot during the the evening and you have the stars out there and so you know i know it's a little speculation but maybe david's out here to pray and middle of the night david's out here praying once you know it becomes distracted becomes distracted from from his prayers like like that ever happens so here's david powerful prestigious mighty ruler i mean he's he's the most powerful king in the world uh, he can't sleep. He's restless. He's bored, and, and now he's distracted. And uh, he's looking down from his balcony, and he sees Bathsheba. So he sends his first messenger down, down to get her. He sends a second messenger to bring her back. And so now Bathsheba is here with with David, and it doesn't seem like she really uh, objects. She doesn't really put up a fight. You know, maybe maybe it's because her husband, you know, is, is off to war, and she's lonely or feels unloved, or maybe she just wants the attention of the king. It doesn't say. But either way. Uh, Here's David and Bathsheba, and that night, sleep together. She becomes pregnant. Not a good situation for the king. Well, we know that uh, Bathsheba is married to Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. But often what's, what's overmissed is the fact that Uriah, he's, he's not just a, a random foot soldier of King David. I mean, King David, he had thousands, hundreds of thousands of foot soldiers. Uriah, Uriah the Hittite, he's actually one of King David's mighty men. Uh, it says that specifically in the Old Testament. It lists his name along with 37. He's one of 37 royal bodyguards, one of 37 secret service, one of 37 closest uh, warriors, closest soldiers to King David. It's, it's not just a random foot soldier. Uh, Uriah is pretty much David's David's friend. I mean, somebody he, he trusted, he fought with, uh, a brave, faithful man. He, he knew well. So Uriah uh, is... Uh, doesn't fare so well. Ends up getting killed at the hands of, of David and uh, David's orders during the, the army. So here we have uh, the genealogy of Jesus. Um, let's review. We have four women so far mentioned. We have uh, the prostitute Tamar. She's uh, Aramean descent, obviously not Jewish. We have the prostitute Rahab. She's a Canaanite. Again, not Not Jewish. Then we have the, the sneaky and suspicious Ruth, who we learn she's a foreign uh, pagan Moabite, not Jewish. And then we have the cheating spouse Bathsheba, who's married to a Hittite. Again, not not Jewish. Well, that's how Jesus' ancestors, that's the four moms, that's the four women, purposely added in here. These are the people that, that are immediately brought to our attention, These these questionable foreign women. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. But it's not just these four. There's actually a fifth woman. We read about her at the very end. Uh Mary. Mary the mother of Jesus. She's a little questionable too. Remember she's a basically a, a teenaged, unmarried and now pregnant woman before the birth of Jesus. She's she's just a kid. She's a teenager. She's she's unmarried. Uh, she's engaged to Joseph, but they're not married, and now she's she's pregnant. Pretty questionable, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament today, still still pretty questionable for for Mary. Um, but Scripture reveals that it wasn't Joseph; it was uh, the Holy Spirit. So we have these 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 generations, these these four women before before Mary, the these questionable these foreign women. But that's the point. You know, Jesus, Jesus came from sinners like these. It would have been easy for, for Matthew to, to not include these women. I mean, he, he could have just carried on father, son, father, son, kept this generation going. Uh, but he purposely adds in Jesus, the, the perfect one. Jesus, the, the promised Messiah, came from this, this long line of failures, came from these, these misfits, these mistakes, Um, This isn't a a pure-blood Jewish family line. This is is a collection of of foreigners, of adulterers, of murderers, prostitutes, thieves, liars, hypocrites. Uh, This isn't really churchy people. This isn't who we think Jesus would be coming from, but it's here. Opening lines, first page of the New Testament. It's right here, right on the first cover of what Matthew is writing in his book. These are the people that Jesus is coming from churchy people, sinful people, rebellious, wicked, right here. Well, Matthew, when when he's writing this gospel, this letter, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And specifically, he's writing to Jewish leaders, Pharisees. You know, the the Pharisees, the the men in the the New Testament who always try to test Jesus and kind of prove that they're better, the the religious, these self-righteous, these the hypocritical, legalistic, judgmental guys that we read about, that's who Matthew's writing to. He's writing to them and Matthew's saying, look at the line of Jesus. Jesus doesn't come from Pharisees. He doesn't come from these pious religious people like you. Jesus is coming from a line of, of failures, of sinful people. Jesus coming from common, ordinary, everyday people. It's not just kings like David. It's, it's not just rulers and leaders it's, it's the peasants, it's the everybody's, it's, it's the anybody's, it's the common man. Right from this beginning, Matthew is he's sending a message to these Pharisees. He's sending a message to these Jew, Jewish leaders. He's announcing that, that Jesus Christ, the perfect one, he's coming from a long line of imperfect people. He's not coming from legalistic, pharisaical, hypocritical, judgmental people like yourself. He's coming from a lot of sinners. But more than, than shock value and more than just surprising his audience, Matthew includes these people in this family tree of Jesus to, to display the sufficiency of God's grace. You know, even through mistakes and failures in ordinary everyday people, God's plans are still carried out through all of history. God uses everyday common people like this for his will to bring about his son. So I hope you're not thinking, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm not like one of those. I'm glad I don't have mistakes and failures in the past like them. You know, I hope you're thinking, I need, God, I need God's grace just as them. You know, I can be included in God's will just like them. Well, good news, Jesus Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinners. Jesus come didn't, didn't come to make you religious. He didn't come to, so that you could go to church and be pious. Jesus came to save the the sick and the lost. Jesus came not only from sinners, Jesus came for sinners. Well, by the way, just so you know, uh, Matthew, the the author of uh, this family tree, the the first book of the New Testament, he doesn't have such a clean past either. He's got a couple things in, in his background as well. So turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Luke 5. As you're turning there, I'll give a little background on Matthew. Matthew, he was a tax collector. The tax collectors, they made a good living. They were, uh, they were tolerated by, by the Romans, but they were despised by the Jews because they would just overtax, take advantage, and rip off the Jews. Basically, if you're a tax collector, you, uh, you, had, to, you had to collect a certain amount. So if the Roman Empire said you need to collect 7% taxes... The tax collectors, they would say, I'm going to collect 10%. They would overcharge 3% or, or whatever. They would overcharge, pocket that money. And here they are, backed by the Roman Empire, the, the most powerful government military in the world. Um, nobody's going to mess with them. You can't object to them. They're part of the, the federal government. They're part of the IRS of, of Rome. And, and so here's the tax collectors taking advantage, ripping people off, and uh, can't, can't do a lot about it. Um, kind of what they say goes, and they're actually backed up by Rome. So these tax collectors, they have a pretty powerful, uh, pretty lucrative business here, charging what they want, taking advantage. They could overtax on on wheels, on animals, on people, admission to markets. They could could tax, I mean, basically anything they wanted to, and especially if you're Jewish, you're kind of stuck paying it. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, he meaning Jesus. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Levi is the same name as Matthew. So after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So here's Jesus. He's, he's walking through and, and actually with uh, the context surrounding this passage, we know where Jesus is. And he's uh, walking along this uh, major trade route So he's walking along a place where there's a lot of people passing by. And on this trade route, here's Matthew with his uh, tax-collecting booth. He's sitting alongside this trade route, taxing people, kind of assumingly ripping them off, taking advantage of them. He's uh, taxing the wheels, the animals, the people, anybody walking by. And Jesus calls to him and says, follow me. Immediately, Matthew left everything. Immediately, Matthew leaves everything and, uh, and follows him. Here, Matthew, he's, he's leaving his entire business. He's leaving his entire operation. He's, he's leaving all that he knows. He's got to be thinking, I'm never going to make this much money again. He's got to be thinking, you know, if I walk out of my job now, what's, what are the Roman officials going to do? know, I can't just up and leave. I can't just up and quit. But Matthew doesn't care. He just immediately follows. But not only uh, does Matthew immediately follow um, he doesn't do it in secret either. You know, it's, it's neat. Matthew doesn't wait until April 15th when all the taxes are filed and he can make the most money. He just, he just ups and leaves. But in addition to, to leaving immediately, he also doesn't do it secretly. You know, you look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, and Levi and Matthew. And Matthew made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So here's Matthew. He, he opens up his house. He, he has a party. He throws this great banquet. He, he has Jesus at this party and he invites these people. He invites other tax collectors to join him at this party. Uh, Matthew, he opens up his house and he invites his coworkers. I think that's kind of neat. He doesn't do it just uh, immediately. He does it and he doesn't do it just secretly. He invites the people around him. He invites those he knows matthew he's he's not ashamed of of his past he's not embarrassed of, of where he's come from he's not trying to keep uh, this new thing he's trying out following jesus a secret he throws a party coming up in uh, here in december we've we've challenged you to uh, to have the the christmas challenge we've we've challenged you to open up your homes we've challenged you to uh to have a matthew party you know to, to invite your coworkers to invite Invite the people you know. Invite your neighbors. Invite other non-harvest people to your house. Uh, Matthew doesn't have a big evangelistic presentation. No, he just has a party at his house. He just invites his his coworkers, his neighbors. He just invites the people he knows. Has a party. Has them over. Something we're asking you to do here in December. Have a Matthew party. Follow the the Christmas challenge. Well, in verse 30, it kind of says a little bit of a conflict here. Verse 30 and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with them, the, the tax collectors, the sinners? You know, we can see it's not just tax collectors here at the party. It's, it's not just sinners. It's also the, the Pharisees, the, the party poopers, the ones who are saying, you know, don't associate with those people. Those are sinners. They're not religious. They're not churchy. They're the they're the wicked. They're the rebellious. They're the, the brawlers, the, the fighters. They're, they're the sinners, the tax collectors. Don't, don't associate with them. Uh, but I love, I love Jesus' response here in, uh, in verse 31. Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He he didn't come for for the healthy. He didn't come for the churchy. He he came for the sick, the sinners, the lost. Jesus, the the promised Messiah, who came from this family of failures, uh, who came from this this family tree of of mistakes um, and scandals, he he came to save them. He came to save them, but he also came to save us. Jesus, the, the promised Messiah, came to save people from their sins. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the point of the Christmas story, God with us, God who has come to us. So often we, uh, we try to think we have to get to the place of, of religiosity or spirituality or, or churchiness where we can then come to God or we're at the level where we can now approach God. That's missing the whole point of Christmas. The point of Christmas is God has invaded our world. God has come to us. It's not about us with God. Christmas is God with us. Christmas is Emmanuel. So like the disciple Matthew, you know, Jesus, he, he also calls us to follow him. But before we follow him, Jesus calls us to repentance. Repentance, it's one of those words we don't hear every day. Um, but what it, what it means is, you know, I once was walking in this direction But then I repented and I started walking in this direction. Repentance means, you know, once I was in the pit of despair, once I was over here, a sinner, separated, lost from God, but God. But God came to me. I didn't come to God. God came to me, rescued me, saved me, brought me out of the pit of despair and through confession, through repentance and through salvation is moving me towards future glory that's repentance so when when Christ came to Matthew he he didn't keep it a secret he had a party you know he let he let people know when Matthew wrote his gospel he wasn't embarrassed or or ashamed of of some of the the family members of Jesus he wasn't uh he didn't leave out the the family tree he he added them in for emphasis he added them in to purposefully Bring attention to uh, to some of these misfit characters. Ma- uh, Matthew, he's he's not embarrassed of of these four women. He's not embarrassed of of Mary and how she conceived of of Jesus. You know, for for some of us, you know, this this is a maybe we can relate to the family tree because we have the extended relatives. You know, we have the people, uh, some of the embarrassing moments, some of the failures of the past. Um, but but for some of us. We also have this for ourselves. It's not just it's not just extended family and the family tree. It's it's me. It's it's personal. It's, this is my story of having a, a failure in the past, a sinful sinful pleasure, an embarrassing story. Um, but good news, you know, Jesus Christ came to save us. Jesus Christ uh, came to us. You know, we we don't need to be embarrassed. We don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be insecure because God's grace is sufficient. We don't need to cover up a, a life of sin, a past of problems, a, just a, a family tree of failures. We don't need to try to protect our image or, or try to put our best foot forward, uh, trying to carry on a reputation because we're all imperfect. But that's the point. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, came from sinners like those. He came for sinners like us. And we're all imperfect. We're all sinful. We're all rebellious. But God. But God in his graciousness has provided a way. God in his His goodness has allowed us to move from the pit of despair, has brought us out, and moved us towards future glory. And that's what Christmas is. God who has come into our world has invaded us and has brought us out. God who has come to us, not us with God. I'm just going to close in prayer, and then we're going to bring up the worship team and also have a... Like, like Matthew, we're going to have a time of uh, of testimonies, our own family tree here here at Harvest. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your goodness. God, we do thank you that you are the promised Messiah, that God, you are faithful, that you have brought uh, men and women to yourself. And so we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed or uh, try to cover up the the past history of our life. We thank you that uh, in you we are a new creation. We thank you, God, that you have moved us from the pit of despair into your loving hands and moved us towards glory. God, we just thank you that we don't need to be embarrassed. God, your grace is sufficient no matter our problems, no matter our past, no matter our struggles. Your goodness, your love endures forever. You are seated on the throne and you have come to save us. You have entered our world to bring us to yourself. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you that we can joyfully announce and celebrate as a testimony of what you've done for us. And we thank you for for who you are. We bless your name this day. Amen.